Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. When it comes to the food we eat, when it comes to eating well, there are a lot of fads out there, a lot of hype, a lot of nonsense, frankly. So it can be difficult to navigate all of that. I guess that's where our next guest comes in. Uh, Dr. Joe Schwartz is director of the McGill Office for Science and Society. He's written a new book. It's called A Grain of Salt, the Science and Pseudoscience of What We Eat. He joins us on the line here this afternoon. Dr. Joe, great to have you with us. You're welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, from your perspective, what, why is a book like this needed? I think uh, one thing that everyone in the world has in common is that we all eat. We all think about eating. We think about what we should buy, how we should cook it, what uh, we will eat next time, what we should have eaten. And then we discuss it with our friends. So food is, is a very popular topic, uh, of course. But it also tends to be confusing because there's such a plethora of studies out there and um, I think it seems to many people like the pendulum is constantly swinging back and forth that, you know, one day eggs are good, the next day they're not good, right. one day meat is okay, the next day not. People don't know what to make of it. And the fact is that most of those studies have to be taken with a quarter grain of salt. And uh, I think it's important to understand that there actually are some things that we know quite well about nutrition, but there's also a lot of pseudoscience there. So that's why I think it was important to put together a, a book like this so that people get a perspective on, um, you know, what is uh, available in terms of information, what is trustworthy, what is not, and uh, sort of uh, a guide to what uh, we should eat and what we should be careful with. Yeah, I mean, any any kind of scientific field is is going to be confusing to the layman. And I guess ultimately our, our food, uh, even though we, we deal with it every day, we're still talking about science, right? And, and so it, it can still be confusing to people. It is very confusing, and especially because so much of nutritional research comes from questionnaires that people fill out. Uh, these are so-called observational studies where people are asked, you know, well, what did you eat over the last 48 hours? Tick off all the boxes and, and tick off all the weights of the food. And most people can't remember these things. You know, we can hardly remember what we ate for breakfast today. Yeah. And furthermore, if you're asked to uh, describe in terms of grams, let's say you ate oatmeal, how many grams you ate, most people are hard-pressed to do that. And furthermore, we also know that on these questionnaires, people very often will say what they think they should have eaten instead of what they actually ate. And I've looked at you know some of those surveys, and it looks like uh, people are eating more broccoli than the world is capable of producing, you know, <laughs> yeah. because they think that they should be putting down the what they perceive to be are the healthy foods. So that's why it's very difficult to come to sound conclusions based upon such observational studies. The other kind of studies we have are are, are with uh, animals, and of course the human is not a giant rodent. 
uh, with some exceptions. So we have to be careful about extrapolating, you know, those studies. And then we have studies that are done in the lab in cell culture, where you can show that, you know, such and such an extract of of a, of a, a berry that you probably never heard of controls the growth of cancer cells in a petri dish, and all of a sudden in a headline, you know, it comes out that that uh, goji berries or acai berries, you know, are are the key to preventing cancer. So there's a lot of confusion out there. Uh, there's a lot of sensationalist headlines you know, that are not backed up by science. And uh, it takes a bit of explana- explaining, you know, how to go about um, interpreting what is out there. And that's what I've tried to do in the book. It's, it's uh, you know, sort of guides people about critical thinking and how to think um, in a proper way about what we put into our mouth. Yeah, because there's a lot of competing forces, too. I mean, there are companies, obviously, that have a vested interest in exaggerating science or even downplaying science. Uh, there are PR people, even media people, obviously, who, who have an interest in you know dramatic headlines about the next big thing or the next big superfood or the next big breakthrough. So that, that really, I mean, it, it clouds the issue even further, doesn't it? It does. And we also have to understand that, well, obviously, food is an important part of health because, after all, we are constructed of what we eat, right? Food is the only raw material that ever goes into our body. So everything of which we are composed uh, originates in the food that we eat. But still, food is not the only determinant of health. The air that we breathe, the water that we bring, that we drink are obviously important, as is the selection of your parents, because so much is genetic. Uh, The only thing is that at least with food, we have some control over it. You can't choose your parents, but you can choose what you put into your mouth. And I think that's why it becomes so seductive, thinking that, you know, if you just uh, uh, follow some specific dietary regimen, which, uh, you know, changes almost from day to day. In some cases, you you know, they're pushing low carbohydrate and high carbohydrate, you know, and... uh, uh, you don't know who to follow. But when I look at all of the evidence, I try to tease out all of the, the nonsense, separate the science from the pseudoscience, and hopefully uh, provide a, a pathway that can be reasonably easily followed. Because after all, you know, there are no miracles out there. Uh, but we know that the closer we are to a plant-based diet, although not necessarily exclusively a plant-based diet, uh, the chances are better that we will you know, maintain our health. But obviously, you know, uh, health depends on so many different things. But at least uh, paying attention to food is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Are there some particular myths or misconceptions that, that you're looking to, to address or that, that you tend to run into a lot? Yeah, there are some egregious uh, things out there. For example, the alkaline diet, uh, suggesting that you know, drinking alkaline water or, or alkaline foods uh, are the answer to prevention or in some cases the cure of cancer. And this is just a a total nonsense because you cannot adjust the acidity, which is measured by a unit called the pH of the blood, by anything that you drink or anything that you eat. Uh, But you can make a very seductive argument for that. Uh, For example, Tom Brady, who abides by an alkaline diet and, you know, suggests that this is the key to his success. (laughs) Well, I think there are many reasons why Tom Brady is successful. I think he's got the right genes and uh, he's got the talent. Uh, It may be that, you know, he's got a diet that that, um, is also uh, pretty good, but I think it has nothing to do with whether that diet is alkaline or not. I think he eats a lot of fruits and vegetables, eats a lot of whole grains, 
and uh, probably minimal amount of, of saturated fat, which is all good. But his success on on the field is not because he is consuming an alkaline diet. Uh, then, of course, there are even sillier things. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, of course, uh, pushes all kinds of nonsensical diets about live enzymes. Well, enzymes are not alive or dead. Enzymes are just special protein molecules. Uh, there are people who push diets that... Uh, uh, have chlorophyll in them. Chlorophyll is the green pigment that allows for photosynthesis. That's what allows plants to grow. And indeed, there would be no life on Earth without chlorophyll. It's probably the most important chemical because without it, there would be no photosynthesis, no plants. And without plants, of course, there would be no animals. There would be no humans because all our food originally comes from plants. But therefore, to suggest that chlorophyll is also an important ingredient in human food is, is nonsense. We're not plants, we don't photosynthesize. But you can cherry pick data to make that sound very, very seductive that we should be eating uh, chlorophyll. And then of course there are all the arguments about things that we should not be eating. Uh, Dr. Stephen Gundry thinks that lectins are poisonous and these are substances that are found in a, a lot of, of, of vegetables and he thinks that if we just avoid those, if you avoid eggplant and tomatoes, etc., then then you will live a long and healthy life. Uh, again, there's zero scientific evidence for that, but he's got some credentials because in a former life he was a cardiac surgeon. And uh, that, of course, doesn't mean he knows anything about nutrition, but because he's got the you know, academic background, people listen, uh, listen to it. So you also have to be careful about whom you listen to, why they are saying what they're saying, and always ask the question, is there any uh, pot of gold at the end of their rainbow? Are they looking <laughs> to make money off of something? Yeah. Well, yeah, you mentioned a couple of well-known celebrities there. And, and I mean, that, that plays a big role. Right? I mean, celebrities are, are very influential. And, and especially when you see, um, you know, how, how they look and how they, they perform athletically, we, we want to be like that. So the moment they start talking about, well, I eat this, this and this, we're going to rush out and copy them. I think that that's true. Uh, people think that if you're famous, uh, you must have more knowledge about everything, which, of course, is, is just not the case. When you uh, want to have good scientific information, you go to people at, you know, uh, Harvard School of, of Public Health or the Mayo Clinic. You know, you don't, you don't look to Suzanne Summers uh, for guidance, but many people do uh, because, uh, you know, they talk a very, very good game. But again, you know, you always have to take a look at who's saying what and why they're saying it and what they have to gain by what they're saying. And, you know, all of this confusion also leads to a condition that, that we refer to as orthorexia, which is just a, a sort of an overzealous view of nutrition and about what we should eat and what we should not eat, uh, just paying too much attention to, to food. And... Uh, uh, making adjustments to the diet that really are not uh, science-based. And uh, that can lead to all kinds of medical problems as well because people are cutting out things from their diet. Uh, they're constantly worried about pesticide residues. They're you know, gravitating right. towards organic. There's nothing wrong with organic except that it's very expensive in many cases and, and uh, people will eat fewer few, uh, fruits and vegetables because they're too expensive. Um, I think we should be eating lots of fruits and vegetables, and um, whether they're organic or not should be uh, 
question that you know doesn't deserve nearly as much attention as it is getting. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you, you do talk in the book about you know areas where there is really sound science, like for example, the importance of eating fresh fruits and vegetables. You also talk about sugar, and I mean, you know, we we know that, that sugar is not good for us, and and the more we learn, the more it just confirms that, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. And and uh, added sugar is not a requirement in our food supply. We can get along very well without it. The only thing that sugar has going for it is that it tastes good. And, uh, you know, people may talk nutrition, they may talk health, but the fact is that they eat taste. And uh, tasty things very often have a lot of sugar. Our our consumption of sugar is is way, way more than what it should be. when you take uh, into account that just uh, you know a usual uh, can of soft drink, a sugar sweetened soft drink, can have 40 grams of sugar, which is about the amount of added sugar that we should have in a whole day, and there are many people out there who are drinking a lot more than just one uh, can of pop a day, and um, uh, that's a huge concern not only in terms of um, extra calories and obesity, but we also know now now that eating all of that sugar is linked to type 2 diabetes. It's linked to heart disease. It's linked to cancer. So um, there's no good argument that can be made for uh, indulging in all of that sugar. On a related note, I did want to ask you about this because we hear about artificial sweeteners a lot. And I mean, part of our our love for sugar is just our our, our desire for foods that, that taste sweet. Artificial sweeteners are, are seen as kind of a, almost like a form of harm reduction in a way. But what does the science tell us about, you know, whether, whether these are, are safe? Well, artificial sweeteners uh, are a category of food additives. And any additive has to jump through a lot of regulatory hoops and hurdles, you know, before it gets on the market. In the U.S., it's governed by the uh, uh, Food and Drug Administration. Here, it's governed by Health Canada. Now, of course, you can never prove that something is safe beyond doubt. You, science can never prove that. Uh, science just looks at the risk-benefit analysis. And in terms of artificial sweeteners, I mean, there's a, a very interesting and checkered history there. Uh, I'm not a big fan because they don't deliver the goods in the sense of uh, weight control. We've had lots and lots of artificial sweetener exposure since about 1980. And since that time, what we have seen is just an increase in the incidence of obesity. Uh, Why is that? Uh, I think people uh, will put an artificial sweetener into their coffee because they're worried about sugar. And uh, then they're so happy with what they've done is that they will have that slice of cake after (laughs) You reward, you reward yourself. (laughs) You know, which they wouldn't have had had they put sugar into the coffee, and there'll be probably a lot more sugar in in the cake. So the evidence shows us that the artificial sweeteners just, you know, are are, are not a significant player when it comes to the weight loss game. In terms of of safety, though, uh, I don't think that there's much of a safety issue. there is a very rare condition called phenylketonuria, which is a genetic condition. And uh, people who uh, are afflicted with that have to stay away from aspartame because aspartame, one of the components of that sweetener is phenylalanine. And that's the amino acid that cannot be uh, properly used by the bodies of people who suffer from PKU. But aside from that, there's no significant risk. Uh, but, uh, you know, when people ask me, should I have that soft drink? that has sugar in it or artificial sweetener, my usual answer is no, have water instead. And if you like bubbles, have soda water. Uh, But there's no need to drink any kind of soft drink.
All right. Much more in the book. It is called A Grain of Salt, The Science and Pseudoscience of What We Eat. Dr. Joe Schwartz, thank you so much for joining us here today. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks very much. All right. Uh, that is Joe Schwartz. He is the director of the McGill Office for Science and Society, McGill University, author of the new book, A Grain of Salt, The Science and Pseudoscience of What We Eat. Our number here is 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.